Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and my colleague and partner in crime co-host Simone Malaz is on a well-deserved vacation right now. But I'm so excited to be here with you today. We have an incredibly special guest uh, with us uh, to discuss a lot of different topics. Um, So without further ado, I'd like to welcome WDSU Chief Meteorologist Margaret Orr to Delta Dispatches. It is such an honor to have you on the show. How is your summer going, Margaret? Jacques, I have had a great summer. I went on vacation to Siesta Key, and I got to see a sea turtle up on the beach. Um, She had just laid her eggs, and I was worried because she was still on the beach. She was supposed to be gone. Um, And so I called the Florida Wildlife, and they said, well, If you had 100 babies, you would be resting too. And so they said, would you please stay and watch her? So I called uh, my friends who had traveled with me there and said, y'all need to get out here. And we stayed and watched her. And uh, one of the uh, turtle people uh, who patrols the beaches for the turtles was out there and she came over and said she had only seen it maybe five times in her lifetime where she had seen one of the big sea turtles still on the beach in the morning. So it was really a momentous occasion. That was the highlight of my summer. And then at the same time, we were having flooding in the city. That was one of our flood events when I was well, out of town. that is an incredible experience. And, you know, I, I think good for you for actually having the, the care and taking the time to make sure the turtle was in good condition. And I think the wildlife and fisheries had a pretty good explanation there. But I can imagine that, you know, having that experience while thinking about what was happening <laughs> um, back in New Orleans. And we definitely want to get to some of the flooding that's been happening in t- New Orleans. But first, I have to ask, I mean, I personally grew up watching you on WDSU, um, as many folks have throughout uh, New Orleans and the greater New Orleans region. But for folks who still watch you, I mean, I do too, on a daily basis, you know, we know you as your in your capacity as chief meteorologist. Um, but can Thank you tell you. us a little bit about yourself and your background? You grew up in New Orleans, correct? I grew up here. um, I mean, in New Orleans, they go, where'd you go to school? So I won't go through that. But yes, I I lived here pretty much all of my life, um, nursery school, the whole nine yards. So, you know, I kind of define myself by um, some of my experiences that I've had. And weather has always played a dominant role in my life. Um, And we can go back to my father in a way. And this is something I wanted to share with you. My father has always had a fear of hurricanes. And that goes back to his grandmother. His grandmother was tied to an oak tree during the summer of uh, 1900 as the hurricane of 1900 was moving into Galveston Island. They lived on the mainland, but just on the coast. And she was pregnant with my grandfather. So this is my great-grandmother pregnant with my grandfather in 1900, gave birth to him a couple of days later. 
and, you know, they saw the water coming in. They got up in the oak tree. And my grandma, great grandmother told my grandfather and father, get the generations right, all of their lives about the horrors that she saw as, you know, the dead livestock and people and snakes would just go back and forth with the ebb and flow of the water. That's all that she saw. And my father grew up with that, just terrified of hurricanes. But he came to New Orleans uh, for his honeymoon and they stayed. And so we were here, of course, for Betsy. And um, it was, you know, just a, a terrifying time. And, you know, especially for him, having had the upbringing that he had had. And so uh, we went about the day getting ready for Betsy, um, went out to the lakefront. My father had a boat and had to get it ready. And as a child, I can remember running up and down the um, lakefront just in the wind, thinking it was great. And I can remember him hammering wood on the roof to kind of keep the roof in place and just getting ready for this hurricane that was coming and the fear that he had. And so that was a big impact on my life. And just to tell the story of that real quickly, um, you know, my house was blowing and, you know, I was a child and it was going back and forth and it, it, it did create this terrible fear. I was afraid the house was going to blow down. And my father ended up, he was a civil engineer too, opening all the doors and all the windows, which is absolutely the wrong thing to do because then the air can come in and go up and you can lose your roof. And indeed, we did lose part of our roof. But at some point it stopped. And Jacques, I think I had shared this with you that um, I asked my father, well, what's happened? You know, we didn't have the weather channel back then. We didn't have the knowledge that we really have today. And he said, well, we're in the eye. And I said, what's the eye? And he said, I'll show you. And uh, we went outside and I looked up and I could see the stars. And I was truly amazed. What happened? Why? How could this be that my house was being blown down with wind and rain and all of that? And now it was absolutely calm. And then he said, come on, we've got to go back in. And I went, well, why? And he says, because it's coming back. And in, indeed it did. So, um, you know, growing up in New Orleans, weather was always a part of my life, even before that. And I hate to admit this. December 31st, this was 1963. We had four inches of snow wow. at Audubon Park, and I lived right by Audubon Park. And, uh, you know, I went, I woke up and I went, what is this? You know, I'd never seen snow. And it was just amazing and immediately ran outside and started playing on it. And so in New Orleans, you, you get all kinds of weather. Granted, not the snow as often, but you get, you know, those crisp, cold mornings and then it warms up during the day. And in the summer, you get those afternoon thunderstorms. I can remember sitting on the porch with my mother and, you know, like clockwork, every summer at three in the afternoon, 
it would storm. And I'd go, Mom, why does it storm every afternoon at three o'clock in the afternoon? Um, And so, you know, we've had these storms going on for a long time, though what I'm seeing more recently, of course, is that uh, they seem to be occurring more frequently. But certainly growing up in New Orleans, the weather dictates everything that we do from being able to go swimming for roofers up on the rooftop, you know, um, having to deal with uh, the heat index and possibly heat stroke. You know, people were talking about that today, how hot it was and how difficult it is to work outside as a roofer. Um, So weather has always played a part in my life. I can talk forever, Shock. You really have to be careful. Well, that is an incredible story. Yes, no, and uh, <laughs> well, and that is certainly something that I think resonates with a lot of people who grew up in, in Louisiana. Certainly, my my grandparents told me stories of Betsy and Flossie and these storms that just had such an important, or you know, and a lot of times negative but informative uh, impact on their lives. So that is so fascinating, and, and what a powerful story, um, Margaret. We're about to head into a break, but we have so much more to talk. Um, about. I want to get your opinion on some of the flooding that's been happening in New Orleans and more. So if you don't mind hanging on, we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, always available online at deltadispatches.org. We are here today with Chief Meteorologist for WDSU, Margaret Orr. We'll be right back after the break. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore a Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Hello. 
Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and I am so honored to have someone who is a New Orleans institution, um, loved by so many, Chief Meteorologist for WDSU, Margaret Orr. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches, uh, Margaret. Hey, Jacques. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. So I have to ask, you were telling us about how you got into uh, meteorology and and your own personal experiences there. Um, You know, there are so many folks, you know, whether it's Nash Roberts or Bob Breck or certainly yourself, New Orleans has a special relationship with its meteorologists, um, a special love and fondness for them. Um, Do you think it's, as you were saying, because of our relationship with the weather and how dependent we are on the weather uh, for our day-to-day lives? And so we look to these people as guides in that way? I think weather is so important in our lives from all of the different jobs that we do and uh, just being able to have a birthday party or um, be able to pour cement. You know, it's weather dependent. When we were building our house, our first house had to be torn torn down because of the Formosan termite, not kidding, Um, the whole house had to bring it down. And that's kind of unique to Louisiana. So we were building a new house. And on the day that the cement was being poured, there was one storm that was about, oh, maybe 10 blocks wide and one mile long. And it went right over where our house's foundation was being poured. So they had to work it a little bit afterwards. But, you know, all of us depend on the weather. Um, I was uh, almost, well, accosted at a local grocery store a few years back, and I had been out of town for a few days. I think the last I had done the weather was on Thursday, and I had set a chance of rain at the beginning of the week. And that morning, I had tweeted, you know, we've got rain and storms firing up. I went to the grocery because I'd been out of town and a man stopped me and yelled at me saying, you didn't tell me it was going to rain. And I went, wait, I've been out of town and I did say it was going to rain. I tweeted it this morning and apparently he had uh, poured foundation uh, or actually it was street, some street cement. And he was furious with me. And I went, excuse me, I've been out of town. And I did say last week that we would have rain today and I tweeted it. And, you know, one of the main messages that people have to know is that you have to recheck the forecast because the weather can change and you have to stay up to date. Um, There was an incident, it's been quite a few years now, where there was a slight chance of rain. It was only a 20% chance but there was a marginal risk for severe storms. And, you know, that's hard for people to understand. 20% chance, well, then they think, oh, it's just going to be light rain. No, you can have a strong or severe storm. And on this particular day, there was one storm, and it was near Ponchatoula, over a river, and a father and son had gone out fishing and this storm created hail and they had they got out of their boat they were up on a pier under a shed and it was struck by lightning oh and my gosh. they were both killed they were both killed and so uh, the the message is not only do you have to recheck the forecast 
but you really have to keep an eye to the sky. You know, when you see that clouds aren't building, you're generally safe. But when you see those clouds building, get to a safe place because it's going to storm. Even if the forecast was only a 20% chance, you can still have an isolated strong storm. Absolutely. So that's a real important message I want people to know. No, that's so important, especially during hurricane season. I mean, stay uh, on top of the the forecast and what's happening and listen to your local elected officials and leaders in terms of heed the advice that they're giving about taking shelter or evacuating. And that's so important. Yes, but this was in the spring. So these isolated strong storms can occur any time of the year. Right. And that's why it's important for people to be aware themselves. You know what I mean? Yes. Especially if you're a boater, you've got to be able to read the sky. Um, I remember that uh, some people had gone out boating when we had special marine warnings. And I had talked about uh, the potential for gale force winds and their um, boat, you know, capsized and they died. So when these things happen, I really take it personally Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I care about everybody as if they're my brother, my sister, my father, my mother, you know, my children, they're, they're family to me. And I really care about everyone and want to keep them safe. It's yeah, no, it it is so very important. And I think that is a great point that it isn't just during these big weather events, but it can happen on a day to day basis. So it's so important to be aware. Um, Margaret, I do want to talk a little bit about I mean, you've been um, a meteorologist, you've had a, a career 40 plus 40 years at WDSU. So congratulations on that, first of all. Thank you. Um, but I have to ask, I mean, you stand in front of a map every day of Louisiana and Louisiana's coast. I mean, have you seen that map change as we've lost coastal land? And what are the implications that you see in terms of flooding from the loss of our coast? So Jacques, the map has not changed. That's the problem. And while people see a boot when they look at Louisiana, it's really a stiletto. We have lost a whole lot of land. If you look at Plaquemines Parish, it's really just the highway going down to the mouth of the Mississippi River. There's water on both sides. I think people are truly unaware of the water intrusion that we have occurring. The West Bank is almost the Gulf Coast. Sure, there are areas down Lafourche and into Terrebonne Parish, but that water is really lapping at our back door. And so the concern becomes you no longer have the marshland to break up the waves and the storm surge, and we're going to have waves hitting up against our levees, and that's a lot harder to, har- to hold back. Um, so that's one of my major, major concerns. If you look back in 2004, we had Francis, Sean, Charlie, and Ivan. Ivan is the one that um, damaged the Escambia Bay Bridge over in Florida. And What we learned, we had the hurricane conference in New Orleans that year. So that was 2005 after the 2004 season. And they talked about the storm surge lifting the bridge 
off of the pilings. And I went, well, isn't there something that holds them in place? And they went, it's the weight of the bridge. So when the water rose up, it just took the bridge apart. And I went, well, wait. And keep in mind, this is 2005 in the spring at the Hilton for the hurricane conference with all of these emergency managers. I went, well, can that happen to the Slidell twin span? And you could see all of these people looking around going, oh my gosh, yes. And that's indeed what happened. So our concern is as we lose the um, uh, barrier islands, as we lose the marshes, we're going to have more water coming in and it's going to do more damage. And if you look at the shape of our coast, so we've got the toe, we've got the lake, we've got the Mississippi Gulf Coast. It's a perfect funnel. Mm -hmm. And if the storm is by the mouth of the Mississippi River, that means all of that water is not only being pushed north, it's being pushed into the funnel. And that's why you get the water rises in the lake and Lake Maripaw. Um, and people went, well, you know, it's not going to flood for me in Laplace because we didn't flood in Katrina. Well, with Isaac, it went west, farther west than Katrina did, so that you had the inflow more so into the lake and you had more of the rain as well, and you flooded in Laplace. That's another message. People can't look at past hurricanes because every storm and hurricane is different. So yes, Jacques, I'm very concerned about that. Well, we definitely want to continue talking about it. We have to go into a break, but we'll, we'll be right back with Chief Meteorologist Margaret Orr. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and I am thrilled to have on the show today WDSU Chief Meteorologist Margaret Orr. Welcome back, Margaret. So we were talking a little bit about how coastal wetlands and the loss of our wetland buffer impacts storms and flooding, but we've been talking a lot about flooding and not just from hurricanes. Um, it seems, have you seen that, you know, weather events have become more frequent, especially these extreme weather events that cause flooding and damage to places across the state? I, it's amazing, shock how much more we are flooding. And, you know, I grew up here. I've never seen anything like this. Now, you can go back um, and in May 3rd, 1978, that's a famous one, about 10 inches of rain in New Orleans. And I mean, it just shut the city down. We were totally, completely flooded. And then uh, May 8th, 9th, 1995, I covered that. That was the first day we had about 12 and a half inches of rain at the airport. And then the next night, it was really more so the North Shore, even though the North Shore did get rain that first night, too. But it was something like 10 to 16 inches of rain. And then Hancock County had a total of 27 and a half inches of rain. So that's pretty amazing. That was back in 1995. And as I look back in time, um, 
There were times when my mother, for example, was in a nursing home on the North Shore, and I would start to go over there after work, and then it starts storming. I'd go, no, I've got to go back to work and work. And that happened pretty often, but we didn't see the flooding that we're seeing today. And then you go back to, um, to August 2016. I mean, that was an, oh my gosh, you know, incredible event where we had 20 to 30 inches of rain from um, really Tangipahoe Parish over towards Baton Rouge. I-10 and I-12 were both shut down. We didn't have Facebook Live then. Um, and I was on Twitter and getting tweets from people going, I'm stranded, I can't get anywhere, can you call the governor? Um, and people could not get to these people. The water was rising and they were stranded. I, I really don't remember something like that. Now, granted, back in 1995, it was bad, but this to me seemed worse when we had that 20 to 30 inches of rain. And then you look in New Orleans, and this is something people have to realize. It's very localized flooding. Uh, the airport may get hardly anything. The lakefront may hardly get anything. It's been over mid-city, into downtown sometimes. The areas may change gentilly, where you get these flood events. And it is truly... Um, a lot of rain in a short time period, you may get a rainfall rate of two to three inches in an hour and then another hour of that happening, and you're going to flood. And one of the problems, well, there are a whole lot of problems. One, the storm drains aren't clean. The pipes uh, from the storm drains to the pumps are not clean. And another issue we really have to face is that we've got a lot more cement. And that means that all of the water runs off very quickly and it's going to the lowest point. And as we all know, we're a bowl. And so we're trying to get rid of all of this water very quickly, get it out, and we're not using the water. And somehow we've got to collect the water and let it seep into the soil. We've kind of become a dry sponge and we're compacting. And as we all know, sea levels are rising, we are sinking, and the levees have a lot to do with that, but it's your choice. You know, you're going to flood or you're not going to flood. And so all of that good um, silt has gone off into the continental shelf and which also causes us to sink. And we're not able to put it into our marshes, though I know that you're involved with um, channeling some of that and, and building new um, marshes and everything, which is really exciting. But what we can do here in New Orleans, and I've talked about this a, a bit, um, greenlightneworleans.org, uh, I think that's the call letters. I'd have to get my phone over here. But you can get water barrels from them, holds 50 gallons. Hey, I know it's not a lot, but if all of us had one, maybe it would make a difference. Certainly, you'd have water when you need it to water your garden. And uh, my water bill the month before was $650. So 
Um, I don't know what happened there, but it, it's good to have water that you can use that's rainwater. But another thing we need to do is have these rain gardens. And that means um, at the front of your house, in front of your house, before the sidewalk, where the land is a little uh, lower, you want to dig it out, put sand and rock, and then some soil, and then native plants. And this would be an area that would hold water and then sink into the soil, and that would help plump up the soil so we're not sinking as much. And also it would store a greater amount of water than a water barrel certainly would. And the other thing we need done, we're depending on these pumps being on. That, yes, is important, but it's not the solution. We now need to have community areas where we can pump water into them. Uh, Some place, maybe at City Park, another one um, possibly at Audubon, but neighborhood areas where water can be collected, like we have at the Wally Pontiff Playground over in Jefferson Parish, so that water can be pumped into them and not pumped far away. The way it works now, that water has to get to the pump before the pumps can be turned on, and the drains have to work, and the pipes have to be cleaned out too. So localized neighborhood pumping station and water sites. That's what we need. Well, that absolutely makes sense. And, you know, the challenge of living with and managing water is only becoming more complex. And so every little bit helps, whether it's your own uh, rain barrel or whether it's more, you know, multifaceted municipal solutions. So, so glad to hear you um, talking about that, Margaret. Um, We're almost about to wrap it up for the radio show, but if you don't mind hanging on, we'd like to do a bonus segment for the podcast and ask some additional questions, just some fun questions. But I know you're a prolific uh, Twitter uh, tweeter, I guess. So I want to make sure folks have an opportunity to follow you on Twitter. Can you share your Twitter handle? Sure. It's Margaret Orr. So just, um, you know, search Margaret Orr and you'll find me. I'm right here at WDSU and I do tweet all the time. And you can ask me questions and I'll answer you. Now, sometimes I may be sleeping, so uh, I may not respond right away. But generally, I check off and on throughout the day. And you can ask me about the birthday party or, you know, pouring the concrete or going up on the roof, whatever it is that you're going to do. Well, you deserve your off time too, Margaret. We can't, uh, you know, you're Thank not a 24 hour <laughs> weather uh, I, service. I try but... to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a tradition on Delta Dispatches. We like to ask a fun question of all of our guests. Um, so our fun or my fun question for you today is what is your favorite season? Um, after hurricane season and before hurricane season. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's a very good answer. Uh, You could have also gone with crawfish or football, but, you know, I'm not uh, uh, surprised that you went with the weather. Don't get me wrong. I I love saints, but truly for me, anytime after hurricane season and before it starts, I actually start getting stressed in spring because I know hurricane season is next. So if I were to pick a season, it's really fall, winter. Well, fall is absolutely gorgeous in New Orleans, and it is after hurricane season. So I I completely agree with you there, as, as I think many of our listeners here in New Orleans. Um, and we're hoping 
really hoping and praying for a calm rest of the hurricane season um, for for everyone. So, what I do want you to know that uh, Dr. Phil Klotzbach updated his hurricane season forecast um, from here out: twelve named storms, six hurricanes, two intense, and Noah will update there soon as well. Okay, well, another reason why we need to be following you on Twitter. Thank you so Thank much, you. Margaret Orr, um, for being on Delta Dispatches. And tune in to deltadispatches.org to hear the bonus segment. Hello, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And we are here with a bonus segment just for our podcast listeners with WDSU Chief Meteorologist Margaret Orr. Um, so, Margaret, you've had such a huge impact and impression on people's lives um, for the entirety of your career. And I can imagine you've inspired many people in their careers. So what advice would you give to that young person out there who wants to be the next Margaret Orr? I would say you don't want to be me, you want to be you. Uh, Don't try to be something you're not. Um, Be yourself. And if you are yourself, then you're going to succeed. I can remember when I first started, everybody was very um, straight up and never smiled and didn't show any emotion and all of that. And I went, that is not me. And over time, I truly just became myself. And I think that's what's more important. You know, you, people know if you're trying to be something you're not. So be who you are and follow your passion in whatever it is, uh, whether it's weather or um, being a writer or, um, you know, whatever it may be, follow your passion. And Jacques, I've got to say what you're doing now is incredible, bringing attention to our coastland that is truly disappearing, and it's going to impact all of us. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot to think that, you know, Margaret Orr is uh, thanking me for, for, for my job. But um, I, I will say that you were an inspiration to me as well when I was growing up. So this is all very full thank circle. Um, Margaret, you are so involved uh, beyond, you know, your very busy schedule um, in studio and also on Twitter. Um, but you're very involved in the community and supporting so many great organizations from um, the NOLA Tree Project to the Crew of Barkas uh, to the Children's Hospital Telethon um, with where you've helped raise millions of dollars for Children's Hospital. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the organizations that you support and the work that they do. Well, you know, sadly, we don't do the telethon anymore, but Uh, That was truly uh, an amazing impact on my life, and I'm thankful that I got to meet all of these children, some of whom have grown up, and they follow me on Twitter, (laughs) which is pretty cool. Um, But, you know, I do feel like we've, we've helped, and I now have grandchildren who have been to Children's Hospital, so it's really important to me. The other thing that I think is the coolest thing I've ever been associated with is the crew of Barkas. I mean, how cool is that? It was founded at the Margaret Orr fan club. I know, right? 
and um, and then took on a life of its own. And over the years, they've raised over a million dollars for uh, dog welfare, for dog rescue groups, for you know, really helping our pups. And I don't know about you, but you know, my dog Blue is king of the house. Well, now the grandchildren are. <laughs> but um, <laughs> well, he was also king of Barkas, correct? He was. He was king of Barkas, and you know, it's so much fun to walk through the French Quarter with your dogs and dress them up, and it's. It, you know, the the dogs rule on that day, though they truly rule every day. And it's just, you know, how how wonderful. And now it really is one of the best parades in town. And, of course, we've got a lot of them. So that, to me, is so rewarding. And then the other thing that um, is near and dear to my heart is the NOLA Tree Project. Connie Udo is an amazing person. She's taken on um, really retreeing, um, regreening Southeast Louisiana after Katrina. And one of my projects was to plant food because, um, one, you never know what life is going to bring you. But as I go to work every day, I see the homeless and the hungry, and it, it you know, tears at my heart. And so I got involved with um, planting orchards, and Connie has kind of taken that on. And it's such a good thing to be able to walk by and not be ashamed or take a hand out or anything and just be able to pick a piece of fruit off of a tree. So the concern is that that is, uh, you know, mainly a fall-winter thing. We also planted some pecan trees. And now there are some fig trees, but darn, you know, those birds are really good at getting the figs before everybody else. So I haven't quite figured that out. But somehow to plant food that could be year-round, and it, it can't be like a farm because I, I don't have that time or that ability, but I'm looking at truly planting some type of fruit-bearing tree um, that can feed people year-round. Well, what an incredible organization and effort. I mean, certainly there's, you know, space for that in New Orleans and it can, you know, have such a great impact. Margaret, um, I'm going to let you go because I know you're very busy and there's a lot, um, you know, to cover in terms of the weather and we appreciate your time so much. But, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for everything you've done. You truly are a New Orleans institution. We're very lucky to have you. And thank you for taking time to be with us on the show and uh, talking to our listeners about your very storied, um, impressive 40-year career at WDSU. And and please go and follow Margaret at Margaret Orr on Twitter. Um, And we'll have to stay in touch, hear what else is going on um, in in the years ahead. Thank you so much, Jacques. And I look forward to working with you and seeing all the different things that you are doing. Yep, we're going to get you out on the coast soon enough. So thank you so much for our listeners. Uh, This has been a very special episode with WDSU Chief Meteorologist Margaret Orr. We'll be back next week with with some more of Delta Dispatches.
Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and it is time for the Coastal Stat of the Week. And this week's Coastal Stat um, is very directly related to our next guest that we have on. Um, According to the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, it is estimated that approximately 16,000 acres of wetlands are impacted by nutria as of April 2018. Um, the Coastwide Nutria Control Program was established in 2002 to combat nutria in coastal Louisiana. The goal of the program is to remove up to 400,000 nutria each season from coastal Louisiana to reduce nutria-induced marsh damage. And so I'm so excited to have back on the show um, a guest that we've had on prior, Hansel Harlan, founder of Marsh Dog. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches, Hansel. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So in case folks didn't catch the prior interview where we had you on, can you give us a little bit of information about your background and Marsh Dog? Well, I'm an attorney in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I practiced in New Orleans for about 15 years. Uh, I practice in real estate. Um, my more enjoyable uh, line of work is the company that I created, Marsh Dog, that I created with my sister, Vinnie Harlan. Well, and, you know, I um, was a very, well, I shouldn't say I myself, but my my dog was a very big fan of Marsh Dog Treats. And I hear that you all have some um, important news you want to share with the canine community as well as their human uh, owners. Uh, so what is that? Absolutely. Well, as I may have alluded to in our last interview, we were experiencing some scaling issues when uh, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, which was a good thing. Where in the initial iteration of the product, we were making them <laughs> first out of my own kitchen and then out of um, some warehouse space that we had leased and set up sort of a uh, small commercial manufacturing uh, center. But we had sort of outgrown our, uh, our, that location because of the incredible demand that we received for the products early on. And uh, we had been uh, pushed on to uh, ask to distribute nationally. Um, and that was creating a bit of a problem for us because our product at that point was, ba- was made with no preservatives or the only preservative we were doing was, uh, was, uh, was, uh, was a dehydration process. And that created obstacles for us shipping sort of through the desert of Arizona in the back of a, heart, of a hot 18-wheeler. So we had to redesign our product um, and able to mix in some artificial preservatives in order to scale up and meet the additional demand in all of these other places. So after a long process, we have finally got to the finish line. We have three new products that we are offering now. The first is a wild Nutria blueberry recipe, which is our crunchy dog treat. The second is our wild Nutria brown rice and sweet potato recipe, which is a soft treat. And the third is a grain-free cranberry recipe in Nutria, which is another soft treat. So we're really excited about these. And from uh, initial reception, it's been really good. The dogs really seem to like them a lot. (laughs) So do you have a a crew of taste testers over there at Marsh Dog headquarters that you use to try out the new flavors? (laughs) Absolutely. By uh, the Terrier and our Marsh Dog uh, uh, 
canine executive officer, uh, Shin Marais, which is a Catahoula from the wilds of Louisiana. Both give them two paws up. Well, that's that's awesome. And if folks are listening and want to get um, some of these marsh dog treats for their own dogs, I know I love how you have on your website that, you know, your dog can also be a canine conservationist by enjoying marsh dog treats. So um, where can people go to get the latest flavors and help Louisiana's wetlands by giving their dogs these marsh dog nutrient treats? Well, right now in the Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge and New Orleans market, we are in the Jefferson Feed Store chain, which is uh, there's three of them in New Orleans and one here in Baton Rouge. Um, in the Baton Rouge market, we're at Bowie Outfitters, our daily bread. In Mandeville, we're at Adventure Pets. In Homa, we're at Bayou Bee Boutique and Wagon Tails. Um, in Slidell, we're at Cafe de Bone and we're at assorted other places. Uh, that are pick us up, picking us up on a daily basis. Well, and I, w- I want to kind of focus in on on the point. So, you know, marsh dog treats are not just tasty for our our uh, furry friends, but they also are helping Louisiana's coast. So, how how are they uh, contributing to helping Louisiana's coast? Well, on a number of fronts. First, as you as you as you and your audience are well familiar with the nutria, um, through no fault of their own, they're just an incredibly harmful beast for the Louisiana marshes because. Um, you know, in their in their in their native territory, they were constrained from doing much damage because they were geographically um, restricted. The wetlands in Argentina they dry up during the dry season and expand during the wet season, so they really can't get out of that area and cause much damage. When they were brought here, they really came into their nirvana environment, right? They absolutely love our wetlands, and it's just perfect for them to. Um, to uh, to propagate and uh, and eat and have baby nutria on just a scale that is just unimaginable. Um, so the fur industry kept them in check for a long time, as you guys know. But once the fur industry fell out of vogue, there was no more check on their population. The alligators can eat so only eat so many of them, and the population increases grow so much. So what we do is create a market-based commercial check on their population. We love the Nutria Control Program, and the Nutria Control Program does a great job for what they do. Um, but the Nutria Control Program can only do so much, right? And it costs good taxpayer money to do that. So Marsh Dog, by turning the delicious meat into a treat for our dogs, creates a, recreates a private sector demand on the Nutria which A, keeps their population in check and or hopefully in the future starts reducing their population and B, is going to save the taxpayers dollars so that it can be spent on other things like schools and coastal ero- other ways to manage coastal erosion. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know there's been so much interest and in talk about how do we better manage these invasive species? How can we create a market for them, like you're saying, um, to create that demand? And so it's awesome to see kind of the innovation that's come forth within Marsh Dog. And I have to say, I'm going to head over to Jefferson Feed myself and pick up uh, some new treats for for Winnie the Chow Chow. I'm sure she'll she'll love them. And, and uh, you know, I'll let you know how, how she enjoys them. Um, Hansel, we want want to um, make sure to ask you a fun question. If you remember from your last time on the show, we like to ask a fun question. So your fun question for this show is, what is your favorite cartoon dog? Oh my gosh, it would have to be Snoopy without doubt. (laughs) You know, 
No offense to my terriers and Catahoulas, but that's just the best dog ever. <laughs> well, I, I agree. My childhood dog was named Snoopy, so I'm a little biased. But um, <laughs> but yeah, that's a great answer. And can you let folks know where they can find you online and on Facebook and social media? We're at marshdog.com on the, on the net or the web, whatever people call it these days. And we're on Facebook under the same name. And if people go out and buy the product, uh, we love to take uh, canine endorsements. So please upload your photos to our Facebook page and um, turn your dog into a Nutri-Eleven star. Yeah, your dog can be a very a very own canine conservationist and, you know, maybe be seen by others on, on the Internet. So definitely do that and check that out. Well, Hansel, thank you so much for coming on and uh, giving us an update about the exciting developments at Marsh Dog. Um, and also thank you so much for all the work you and your company are doing to help Louisiana's coast and its uh, furry friends uh, that are more land based, shall I say. Thank you very much. I just closed by saying, people say, well, what are you going to do if you ever run out of nutria? I said, well, you know what? You've hit on our company motto. That is, please put us out of business and that will make our company a real success. Well, we'll have to you know, check back in on you and see how that's going. Um, and again, thank you for joining and thank you all for listening. What a great episode. Um, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be back next week with my co-host and partner in crime, Simone Malaz. It's been a rough two weeks without her, but I think we've managed. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.